Hi everyone, welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. It's early morning in St. John, and it's sunny and warm. The fog hasn't rolled in yet. I'm looking through the window of my home office, and the cat is lying on a patio table, basking in the early summer sunshine. I'm enjoying a cup of tea. But not just any tea. It's Millennia Tea, an innovative new product you'll find in the frozen food section of the grocery store, not the dry goods aisle that carries most tea products. That's because the St. John-based founders, Tracy and Rory Bell, discovered that fresh tea, flash-frozen within hours of being picked, is the best way to preserve its freshness and maximize its antioxidant properties. I first interviewed Tracy and Rory four years ago, a year or so after they launched the company. Since then, Huddle has covered the various stages of Millennia's growth, from their appearance on Dragon's Den to a venture capital raise of more than $500,000, to the tea being sold in Sobeys and Safeway stores across the country. When I heard the news that Millennia Tea would be sold in Whole Foods Canada stores, I decided it was time for a home office chat with Tracy, the company CEO. It was the first time in months that I'd done an interview in person. Fittingly, the CEO of the St. John Tea Company came to our office in the former Red Rose Tea Factory for the interview. Near the end of the conversation, I tell Tracy that our chat has me craving a cup of tea, which is why I made sure I had a cup when recording this introduction. I hope you enjoy my chat with Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Mark. It's so good to be here with you. It's so good to be here. And you know, we're in the Red Rose Tea Building, Tracy. And when I was thinking about you coming in here, because you're the first person I've talked to face-to-face in months for this podcast, and I thought, how fitting Tracy and is uh, and Millennia Tea is coming into the Red Rose Tea Building. I love that we are sitting in the Red Rose Tea Building right here. There's a there's a great history of tea in this province, in this part of the world, and uh, and we're happy to kind of be the the newest the newest iteration or the newest version of that. Yes, because there's there's a, a real tradition and continuity here now with Red Rose and now Millennia. It's true. It's true. We've got King Cole as well in Sussex, so yeah. it's good to it's good to continue the tra- tradition. Yeah. Well, tr- Tracy, I'd like to start out by just um, getting to you to know you a little bit better. And I know that you and I first met uh, at Locavore, which was a place on Canterbury Street. I think four years ago, because how old is Millennia? Because it was very early days when we first met. We have had a product in market a little over three years. So it would have been a little over three. That was one of our very, very first spots. So it would have probably been three or so years ago. Yeah. And that was in a very bright spot on Canterbury Street. Great big windows. And I still remember sitting there with you and Rory, having trying the tea for the first time. And you're, we're now meeting in what I think might have been an original storeroom. I'm not sure of the Red Rose Tea Building because we're now in a very kind of basement-like place and in the bottom of the Red Rose Tea Building. But I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm so thrilled to be yeah. here. It's, uh, it's fun to be able to talk a few years later. Yeah. Now, of course, I've, I've known you for, for a few years now, but for, for listeners, I'd love to get a, a sense of, uh, of Tracy pre-Millennia Tea. Um, tell me a bit about your background. So pre-millennia tea, I, I worked in corporate. I had a, I had a corporate job. I was uh, the head of public affairs and public relations for a provincial emergency services organization. I did communications for a university. I'm trained as a journalist and uh, did, my, did my education in Toronto and then worked for 
a television station here in the Maritimes for a few years after that. Now, I know you ended, and we'll get into a bit, a bit more into this in a few minutes. Uh, you're in some ways an accidental entrepreneur. You were in communications and you were in journalism. But do you have that childhood story? Where's your, your, your entrepreneurial roots? So very much an accidental entrepreneur um, in, the, in the sort of the traditional sense. Although as I look back, I was really entrepreneurial in my, in my various roles that I had. I just never imagined myself as, quote unquote, owning my own business. But when I had departments um, and when I had teams that I was either responsible for, for serving or leading, um, I, we operated like we were a startup within those, within those sort of organizations. And so I think I was always really entrepreneurial by nature, but, but never imagined that I would sort of start my own thing because I didn't, I didn't have a big idea. I was, I really loved storytelling and telling stories that mattered to people that shared information that people needed to know. Um, but didn't ever imagine it would be telling our own very personal story and having a business start out of that. Right, right. So you're you're not one of these entrepreneurs who's like you know from selling cookies on on street corners to running a tea company. Not not so much. Although I I had multiple jobs from the time I was you know twelve years old, raised by a single mom. So really, really sort of driven in working hard and and doing a lot from a young age. But not not I wasn't the kid who was at the end of the driveway with my stand of vegetables or lemonade hustling on the on the corner i was going out and saying who wants to give me a job um getting a paycheck do you remember your first job i so after paper route um sort of the paper route that i had when i was 12 i worked in a nursery for plants not for children i was a cherry grater i was a clown I went out and did children's birthday parties. I was a gift wrapper at Christmas in retail. I worked in a bunch of restaurants. I worked in factories um, and those types of jobs up until I went away to school. And then I started getting sort of office jobs. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern Ontario in uh, about 15 minutes from Niagara Falls, Niagara-on-the-Lake in a city called St. Catharines, about an hour and a half from Toronto, from GTA. So tell me about your path to New Brunswick. So I went to, I always knew that I wanted to tell stories from a very young age. Um, I have memories when I was in sort of grade two, having my first book published um, at that, at the sort of the school level where I got to go to the university. Um, So I always knew I wanted to tell stories and journalism was a great path for me. So I went to Ryerson, right downtown Toronto. And I knew at that point that I, didn't want to start my career in the big city. I wanted to move outside of Southern Ontario to get some experience. And then the plan had always been to head back to head back to Toronto and continue my career from there. So I was lucky enough to get a job hired on air right out of university. And that brought me east and I've never, never gone back. Right. And so you were in Moncton for a long time. That's correct. So how, how, what was the journey to St. John? So we, we moved here, I think we're, we're four years ago now, um, about the time that we decided to start our company. Um, my husband, who, who is our co-founder, um, but still, still, works, still works corporately, um, had, a, 
had an opportunity to come to St. John. We have some family here and we had nothing sort of keeping us in Moncton. So it seemed like a good move. So tell me, how did Millennia come about? What was the spark? So our, our company story is um, about five years ago now. We had a cancer scare in the family. It was a brain cancer scare. Um, fortunately, we learned a few months after the diagnosis that it was a misdiagnosis and something entirely different. But it got us looking at things that we had never previously considered. Things like free radicals, how they're roaming around in your body and if they're not neutralized, then they can lead to all kinds of disease like cancer. We learned that you neutralize free radicals with antioxidants and then we learned that there's a powerhouse antioxidant in the tea leaf called EGCG or epigallocatechin gallate and it's really effective at fighting free radical damage and protecting cells. So we weren't big tea drinkers at that point but we dove into the research, the existing science on tea, it's really well studied and started learning everything we could um, because of our family. So we learned three things. We learned that all teas start out from the very same leaf. Um, it's just processing, i.e. how you cook the leaf that will determine if the finished product is a green tea, a, a black tea, um, or a number of different ones. But those are, the, those are the big ones people talk about. And then secondly, we learned that antioxidants are highest in the leaf when it's sort of in its fresh picked forms and they, they get depleted with processing heat, light, and air. And thirdly, we learned that a millennia ago, so my company is called Millennia Tea, and the word millennia by definition means a period of thousands of years. And thousands of years ago, when tea was discovered, it was considered medicinal and it was enjoyed with leaves fresh from the field. It's only when countries started sort of uh, processing, they started processing them, and drying and fermenting, cooking, so that the tea would survive the journey overseas and they, they wouldn't expire. Um, so with that information, we went looking for fresh tea, and when we couldn't find anyone anywhere who would sell it to us, the idea for Millennia Tea was born. It was born out of frustration, um, at not being, a, not being able to get what we had learned was going to be tea in its purest and most naturally powerful form. Right. I mean, and that goes to the heart of, of a great business idea, solving a problem, right? Yeah. But you, you were trying to solve a problem for your family. That part makes you really resilient to the to the the ups and downs that come with starting any new business but especially when the when the lows feel pretty low you, you can go back to your why and know that you're doing it for a really important reason and so we have that reason that maybe not all businesses would have mm -hmm. it must have been like a very terrifying time uh... well it just it it was so frustrating to learn what we had learned and then not be able to get what seemed like so like so basic let's let's get raw tea and so we set out our process which we learned is just it's the exact opposite of how red rose can call all all the traditional conventional tea companies out there um, treat their leaves instead of picking and then drying and, and cooking in one way or another we work with farmer partners in Kenya, Colombia, now central Sri Lanka, to pick, wash, and flash freeze tea leaves um, the same day that they're harvested so that you safeguard the maximum amount of antioxidants. And then you can have, when people talk about food as medicine, then you can use that product really as a nutraceutical. You can use it, you can eat it, you can use it as food as medicine. And so it 
it was we've, we've worked a lot of years to be able to do that in a in a way that is consistent reliable and scalable um and there were a lot of ups and downs and we were able to i'm always able to come back to the piece of knowing that we're doing it for an important reason for for our family i'm really curious so you, you, going back to that time so you you're working away at this and you're doing your research and you're trying to figure this out and then at some point um you get over that initial scare uh for for a lot of people they might just park that and go on with the rest of their lives right your 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 background is in in media and communications um you're raising a family at that point why 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 carry on and and try to build a business uh in this like what what was that spark because as you said to me before this is your first dive into entrepreneurship yes and people are quick to let you know that the stats on businesses who who succeed and businesses who fail are are very weighted against first-time entrepreneurs, let alone first-time entrepreneurs who are doing something that's never been done before in a global industry, the most consumed beverage in the world after water. Um, but at that point, we knew too much. There, there, at a certain point, there's there's no going back. Um, for me at least, and I, and I can only speak from my own experience, but there's, there are some things that are so, they feel so important that you would do them regardless of the outcome. People say, there's that saying, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And that's lovely, but I really like when you flip it on its head and you say, what would you do even if you knew you could fail or even if you knew you were going to fail? And this falls into that category even if and and i don't believe this for a second but even if everything were to come crumbling down today i would still know that what we were working toward and what we were building was important enough that the journey was worth and, and you also you you chose to go into a really complex business right you you have to you have to build a product and then you have to develop supply chain for the product and you then you have to develop the the retail markets um tell me a little because i'm just absolutely fascinated tell me a little bit about your uh, your kind of early wins and successes in terms of you know those those moments those breakthrough moments in terms of the product development in terms of uh supply chain in terms of, i know these are big questions i'm asking but just super curious about how all that evolved with the business and 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 you how you push through oh my gosh so when people ask, why has no one done this before? Is it really possible that no one has thought about it? I originally didn't know the answer to that question. I now understand that undertaking a new category of tea is a massive work and not for the faint-hearted. And if you didn't have as compelling a story and a reason to create the kind of fire in you that I have in me, I can see why no one would do it because we're a... So one, we're working with small-scale farmers in countries on the other side of the world, asking them to do something that they've never done before and that they're not equipped to do. So saying, we want you to take a chance doing business opposite the way you've done it before, and we're not going to be your biggest customer. In fact, we're going to be your smallest customer for a long time till this thing really takes off. So that's a challenge. Um, but we found, we've been able to find through our network because... 
and I'll go off on a tangent just for a second, because what we're doing is so novel and new, we get the ear of people in really, really senior leadership and decision-making um, places within the industry because we're doing something really, really novel and new and they care about the industry in general. So we can get linked into people and places that we might not otherwise just because of the concept. So finding the farmers is a challenge and then saying, I know you're in Hawaii or Kenya or the rainforest in Colombia, but we need you to be able to flash freeze this product and we need you to be able to ship it cold chain to us here in North America, in Canada, in New Brunswick, actually, which is a challenge. So getting cold chain logistics, creating a new international supply chain, cold chain's been done to get before, but not in tea. And then the piece comes to you, I don't live, we don't live in the tea aisle. And so now we have to talk to consumers who are like, I totally buy into what you're doing. I love real, raw, unprocessed, I love the idea of tea as food, food as medicine, but then they can't find us in the store because we don't live beside the other teas. We live in an area that's gonna take a minute. And when I say we're real raw, we're fresh leaf tea, people don't get an image in their head of what that is. You don't, you don't necessarily see a field because you haven't had to consider it before. So yes, we absolutely have our work cut out for us, but the small wins, to answer your question, the things that keep us going are when we see farmers who are lit up by our idea and then the tea governments in those places the tea directorate of kenya learns what we're doing and their their primary source of revenue for that country is tea and when they get excited about the ability of our product to elevate their reputation globally that's a win and when we work with um, our partners in sri lanka named fairest fair trader in the world and we get to go on the farms and visit the farmers and and see their excitement at what we're doing and know that they're paid a fair wage, that feels good. And now in this phase of business, to be able to talk to retailers, large and small, who are really lit up by the fact that they're seeing this is innovation and this is novelty. It's in an area of the store that you don't typically see a lot of innovation in the freezer. Um, and it's in line with the kind of products that people are asking for right now. Give me things that are fewer ingredients, where single ingredient has to be organic. We want to know that the, the, the checks and balances are in place right across the supply chain in terms of how products are, are treated and tested and also how partners are, how partners are treated. Um, those are the wins that feel really good right now. And then, of course, hearing from customers who say this is making a meaningful difference in the way they actually feel on the day-to-day, -day, well, that's, that's how we can keep going on all the ups and downs that come with having a cold chain and educating people about something they've never considered before. I'm so curious about your, your early experiences in, in sourcing in sourcing the tea like do you do you remember uh the, the, those early days of, of visiting those countries and talking to tea plantation owners and what were some of the breakthrough aha moments there like uh, in terms of so i'll tell i'll tell you one little story things that you can't consider until you physically get into these until you get onto the farm and into the places so um we went to we spent time in the highlands in 
Kenya and it was fascinating but the story is from the next the next geography we went to which is in Bataco, Colombia and so tea leaves I don't think I've ever told this publicly tea leaves and cocaine leaves in their raw format look just alike and so we were harvesting raw tea and we couldn't get it out of the country um, because we didn't realize that they looked just alike until we got to the country. But the other thing is that we loved the idea of tea from the rainforest, um, organic tea, but we hadn't considered the fact that Colombia is the second most biodiverse country in the world because of the rainforest. And so if you're growing organic tea in the rainforest, it's all full of bug holes and there's all bugs in the tea, because, which is okay if it's a dried tea. Not a consideration, so fine, cooked it right out. But with our product, where we're washed and flash frozen, we got to our pro- to the facility where we were doing the washing and the flash freezing, and we're like, oh my goodness, it's full of bug holes. It doesn't work for our process. Unfortunately, this origin, this country, can't be a partner of ours for this product in particular. But we couldn't, we didn't realize that. We hadn't thought through that until we were physically in market in that country to get those learnings. So the other piece is the, the, the cultural aspects of being with people who, who do, like meeting with the farmers in their fields and hearing their perspective on why tea is so wonderful or being with the, with the harvesters in the fields and watching them chewing on tea leaves while they're doing their work. Um, those are the moments, the sort of little reinforcing moments that we're like, yeah, they're eating this while they're picking it. It's really good for you. Well, and that it makes me makes me realize because uh, I was thinking about you, you know, uh, sort of, you know, with your pitch uh, on them coming into your your network and supplying you with raw product. Um, a lot of us here, and when you think of the Red Rose example, you think of King Cole. We think of how we experience tea in that in that dry processed form. That these guys on some level got what you were trying to do if they're literally chewing on tea leaves in the fields. And, and it's, so, it's so rewarding and just fun to get to be with people who, who see it. And then they're like, yes, you're interested in doing it this way. We are interested in that because that's, that's, that has value. And to see partners, to have partners in our primary processor, our primary producer partners are in, in the mountains in central Sri Lanka right now. But to, they're so excited about what we're doing um, because they see the potential for a new category of tea on a global scale and, and are excited to be, get to be part of that story. So in terms of starting to develop your retail markets, tell me how that unfolds because it's led to some real successes for you. So our plan had been, I'll, I'll give you a quick little COVID story. Um, it was February of 2020 that we had finally, we, we came out, we went to a big health food show in Vancouver. It's called CHFA, the Canadian Health Food Association. And we were like, yes, we are there. We have a product that is consistent and scalable that we can bring to Canadians across the country. And then COVID struck two, three weeks later, uh, middle of March. And so our plan and our path had been to do sort of the health food and specialty grocery segment across the country and then 
later at one point look at the service industry and look at mass grocery um we were fortunate enough in the just the couple of weeks before that show to get picked up by the Sobeys local program which is where they work with local small companies and you get to you get to have your products in your local Sobeys stores um that grew for us over the coming months because all of a sudden the health food stores were no longer taking on new products, especially new innovation products that required some education. So that channel of business essentially got shut down for us in terms of new business growth. Uh, so then we went into mass grocery sooner than we had expected. Um, and most recently we're on, so we're on Sobeys and Safeway shelves in the freezer uh, nationally across, across Canada. And we just um, have just partners with Whole Foods Market as well. Um, Whole Foods don't have a crazy big presence in Canada. They're, uh, they've got seven locations in Ontario, seven on the West Coast, um, but they're one of the largest health food retailers globally um, when you look to North America and then to Europe. And the, the value in that for us is they super vet their products. So organic look at your whole supply chain and and they're really really pick out who's allowed in store because the promise that they have to customers is when you walk in the door you know that the products on these shelves are are safe and of the highest quality and from companies who treat their partners well so to get into whole foods across canada it just it lends some credibility to to what we're doing um and we've been working hard for a long time so yeah, we're starting to see some success. Yeah. And, and with, with all kinds of questions around the Whole Foods, because it, it, it strikes me too that there's lots of potential there, right? If you're in Whole Foods Canada, then there's the Whole Foods United States. And, and of course, Whole Foods is, is, is Whole Foods still owned by Amazon? Yeah, so you've got, you've got a, that's a big company. Yeah, and, and, and I went, when, so five years ago, when we were just starting down the path of like, thinking about what a company could look like. We, we had no brand. Um, and then four years ago, as we're creating a brand and we're creating our sort of our first business plans and looking at that, you have your, your mission, which is fueling wellness with the freshest and most antioxidant-rich teas anywhere, your why. But then there's the tactile piece of how do you measure success? What does success look like? And for us, it was when I did that business plan with Rory, it was we're working to create the compelling compelling story for Whole Foods. And success would look like getting into Whole Foods in Canada first and then internationally. And so it feels like a big moment because the opportunity, to your point, in Canada, but, but to have some good success here in Canada gives us a great story for Whole Foods International, which is, which is where we can see some real success as a company. Yeah, and it sounds like you've tapped into, you know, a couple of chains in particular, right? So you've got Sobeys and you've got Whole Foods who there's there's a growing appreciation for the place of these kinds of products in their stores. And I think of uh, a recent conversation I had with the CEO of Outcast Foods from Halifax. He produces a protein supplement uh, and he, he takes, you know, the discarded vegetables and, and, and fruit from a lot of the Sobeys stores and repurposes them in a product uh, a protein supplement product and is in so and Sobeys is one of his first breakthroughs if if not his first breakthrough um that's tj galliardi actually and he was a former hockey player so you're the second person i'm talking to in a number of weeks that has you know this innovative uh product that's healthy it's good for you um 
Yeah. It is premium, so you do need to figure out how to market it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but those are, those are big wins for companies like yours that are trying to make that breakthrough. And the mass grocery market is recognizing more and more that they need to have options that cater to, to customers who are looking for ultra-healthy products, that, that, their, that their health food departments and their normal grocery departments have to, have to carry more of the good stuff, the, the really good stuff. And the trends say that we're moving, into a, moving more into a scenario where the lines between sort of the supplements aisle and the grocery aisles are being blurred because people are looking for food as medicine products, products that are going to help them be well, increase longevity, all the good stuff that we all strive towards. So we're happy to get to be at the, at the, at the starting gate for that, for that trend as well. Right. And so tell me a little bit about um, what growth has looked like for you so far in terms of you know, whatever you can tell me about revenue growth, whatever you can tell me about employee growth, like what, what does that look like for you? Right. So we hired our first staff in January and February, our first sort of full-time salaried employees in January, February of 2020. So just before COVID. Um, since then, we're now at seven full-time staff, um, hiring our eighth right now. And we have a number of, uh, I guess contractors is the right term, but folks who we work with on a on a contract or a, a monthly retainer service to help us in outsourcing different areas of the business that that we need help with. So we're 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 growing and we're excited about it. We were at, for example, we were at uh, sort of a hundred stores, a hundred retail locations where you could find Millennia Tea, primarily centered in Atlantic Canada, um, at the start of this calendar year. We're now in well over 400 stores, and we're on a growth plan to be in a thousand locations um, by the by the end of this calendar year. Um, our hope is that by the time January comes, we'll be ready for our first exports to the U.S. And we have partners who are eager to help us grow our reach in Europe. But by, by grow our reach, I mean start to start to gain traction in Europe. We don't have any we don't have any presence there currently. But our partners have a great network there who are keen to be able to pull this into their distribution channels. Well, what are the kind of challenges to, to exporting this kind of product to the United States and to Europe? So, Does COVID present additional challenges to that or would you be facing the same kinds of issues? No, the big one, the supply chain is what it is. There will always be, I mean, that's like a day, day in, day out sort of challenge, but that's not special to us. The The challenge for us in exporting right now is just that a product requires so much education. If, if someone were to buy it tomorrow, it's possible that no one would ever find it in the freezer because there needs to be a marketing a marketing channel, there needs to be someone waiting there to teach them about the product. And so for us, it's just a matter of scaling and measuring really well right now the activities that we're doing in terms of public education that are working and the ones that, that are not. And once we have that model, once we're like, these are the levers that work, we need to pull them at scale, then we'll be able to easily, not easily, there's still gonna be challenges, but we'll be able to more seamlessly move into the US. So for us, it's a matter of refining our story on what works. So testing, 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 
um, to create the model that is replicable in different places. So we needed to get into BC and Ontario. Those are your biggest markets in Canada in order to properly test what we've developed here in Atlantic Canada on a more mainstream populated geography has been what it's been. And we've only been able to, we've only had a presence in those areas for a couple of months. So we're hardcore testing right now so that by the end of this calendar year, we'll have a really good storyline and good data that proves what will work and what won't. Right. Are there, now I know you're creating an innovative product, right? You're groundbreaking. Do you have competitors? So you, you business, your business professionals would tell you, you always have competitors because somebody is choosing you over something else. So we don't have any direct competitors. There is no frozen tea in the freezer beside us. We live beside your frozen wild blueberries and your sort of smoothie kits. So our, our competitors would be less a traditional hot tea. I'm not, I'm not competing against Red Rose, definitely not. We're almost more of a, a competitor against like a greens powder that you would put in your smoothies because our most passionate customer is adding us to their lifestyle to feel different, to feel, to have clean green energy um, and to know that they're getting the nutrients that they need. However, usually people would say that your competitor has to live near you in the grocery department. So in that way, you could say that frozen wheatgrass is our competitor. You could say frozen acai is our competitor. They're all your sort of your frozen superfoods that are premium and that are known to be, you know, your, your super nutraceuticals. The difference though with ours and where it's tough to draw a line is we carry caffeine. So if you're looking for clean, green energy, actual energy that'll help, you know, lift you up and keep you going, the others don't have that. They have great antioxidants, all kinds of things. But we don't have a competitor that sits beside us in the freezer that delivers any kind of caffeine and caffeine regulator, L-theanine. So greens powders, matcha, um, but those are both dried, processed, really, really good for you. But if you're a raw customer, if you're looking for real, raw, pure, we don't have, that was a long-winded response to your concise question to say, we don't have a clear competitor. It depends on why our customer is choosing our product. So we have different things that we would say are competitors based on the customer. It, it, what you're saying kind of rem it reminds me of, and I'm curious to know your reflection on this. I was listening to an interview on a, a business podcast out of the out of the U.S. with the the founder of uh, Beyond Meat, mm. and and uh, it was a fascinating conversation. But he was talking about having to educate customers on on the benefits of the product and really actually creating a whole new customer segment in some ways. Is that what you're kind of talking about? And that's how it and that's how it feels. Um, it truly does, and we're very much in the same in in the same way that we need to do mass education um, through your conventional channels, all the ones you would think of. We're very much one on one, one to one, um, and it feels that seems like a slow way to grow a brand, um, but that will be core to our success is teaching the nutritionists in the health food stores and the managers of the health food section at individual grocery stores um, about our product and doing a really good job in supporting our end consumer, our customer, our families, because what we're learning is 
they're our best marketers. They'll go out and tell 10 of their friends and family what they've just discovered because we feel like a discovery for them. But yes, it's a, it, it's a big, it, it's totally it, teaching people that it's creating a new consumer segment and teaching people about something that they haven't considered. But that's our big job. And that's the part that lights me up. That's what I'm most passionate about is telling people the story of tea um, and delivering something that helps them actually feel better, that they can feel the results of it. This might seem like a, you know, late in the interview to, to ask about the product, but tell me a bit about more about the product. And I, I didn't realize, for example, that you could use this in, in smoothies, things like that. So tell me a little bit about the product itself and the way in which people consume it. Right. So we're different from tea in that we use the exact same leaf. If you're drinking a beautiful organic green tea, we use the exact same leaf. We just, we don't cook it. So we pick, wash, flash freeze, and then the product arrives in your grocery store, um, in your in your health food store, in a couple of formats. We either chop it up fine so you can scoop it out, like kind of like you would your frozen chopped kale or spinach, um, or because people have a hard time sometimes understanding what a serving size is because they've never considered that for ours, we have it in a pre-portioned sort of cube shape that makes it a little bit more convenient, easily transportable. But the difference, so our three core differences are one, we safeguard the maximum antioxidants because we don't we don't process the, the leaf other than washing and flash freezing. Um, but secondly, we're edible frozen tea, which means we're, we're the only tea we're aware of commercially that's washed. And so you can throw it in your smoothies or your soups or your sauces or your bone broths or we have folks right now making popsicles out of our tea. Um, you literally can blend it up into anything that you would um, or put it in your sauces, put it in your omelets and consume it in full. We recommend to people if they want, make a cup of tea. If you like tea, make a cup of tea um, initially and then take your leaves and either re-steep them all day long or scoop them into a smoothie or another recipe. Um, that's what we suggest. And the third part of our of our value proposition, if you will, is just that you can reinfuse the same tea multiple times. Because we haven't cooked the tea, the antioxidants aren't on the edges, and statistically dried conventional teas, you get the lion's share of the antioxidants on your first cup, and then it drops to about a quarter on your second cup. We're the opposite. We, we match your green tea on your first cup, and we go up on your second cup in terms of antioxidants. So you can reuse the product, and it tastes different from dried teas, it tastes that, like that whole fresh from the field experience, which you can't get um, unless you've been to a tea field before. Yeah. I, I, it reminds me, I actually did, when I was much younger, I actually spent some time in India and lived amidst tea fields in, in southern India. And it was, it was a pretty amazing experience. Very neat. Very neat. <laughs> India is one place that, I'll be honest, we have not been because it feels like a really big thing to try and do our process in that country because I don't understand it well. But India is actually the only of the big tea producing countries that we haven't sourced from. Um, but it is a pretty special experience to be in a field. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions. I really appreciate your time. It makes me think in, in terms of the, the capital intensive nature of your business, like do you, do you have in, investors or you, I hate to say bootstrapping it because I know it's an expensive business, right? I know that market development and product development and supply chain development 
none of that comes none of that would come cheap um, have you had to seek sources of, of capital yeah so we did bootstrap it um, as long as we could I, because we were doing something really new Rory and I bootstrapped it to de-risk the model as much as we could we knew we always knew we'd have to raise at some point but um, but yeah so we bootstrapped it for our first three years till we had a brand a sub, at least a rudimentary supply chain um, and then local market trials done and then uh, in late 2019 we closed our first investment round we've done one investment round we have private um, private institutional and venture capital funds so we have four private investors we have um, uh, our institutional partner is natural products Canada and then a VC partner called SOSV based out of uh, the US and Ireland and did you reveal how much those those rounds were our our so our our we closed that round. Essentially, it was all one round, and we raised six hundred and fifty in that. Right, and then going forward, looking at like looking at investments, do you see that just increasing going forward? So we are. I'm preparing now um, for our next, just to be able to take to take how we were talking about marketing and understanding what works in one market, and then to be able to scale it to our first to our international markets that will be what we'll be raising for in our next in our next round so our goals with with this raised was to hire a foundational team which we've done to get our supply chain such that the product was consistent scalable that we had that we had a, a, a supply chain that would that would scale um, and then and thirdly was to get early market traction to prove that what that there was a market for what we are offering and we've, we've been able to do that and so now we will I will, I will be fundraising in the coming months <laughs> do you, can you reveal the size of that raise yet or do you know not yet it's a little bit early it's a little bit early we'll talk again soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I mean I just I can just think of all the pieces of this right that you would have to put together because you also I assume need the right the right facilities near near the the, the tea farms the tea plantations to to be able to, to handle the product and do the to do the flash freezing right like this is it's a very specific it's a very specific <laughs> process and our our process is is patented as well and so that just added layer of anyway there's there are a lot of things to consider um, to find the right partners and to be able to scale the process and then to take the funds and be able to apply enough to marketing to educate specific markets um that's our work yeah that's our work. new brunswick uh, doing this out of the out of the maritimes what are the what are the pluses and the minuses like what are the good things and what are the challenges to doing this so it it was great to start here because i expect it may have been a little bit more difficult than it would have been in some other places so it helps to continue to build that resilience and the courage and the and some of the finer qualities some of the soft skills that are needed to, to scale a business um, and there's talent here which is which is great there we've had to partner with external agencies or individuals in larger markets to be able to get do some of the things that you can't do here to physically to visit stores to have relationships at the retail level because we're very much creating a new consumer segment we've got to educate at the retail level so we have partners who do that and then we have some specialists who 
work in sort of different aspects of marketing, and we have those individuals that we work with out of the U.S. in various places. Um, yeah, in various places, New Orleans, New Jersey, and some others. And looking back over the last you know few years, could you could you could you have envisioned it turning into this and and taking your your life in this way as as all businesses do with entrepreneurs, right? So yes, I I did. I knew it would be all encompassing, and I knew it would succeed. I don't say that from a place of ego. I promise you all of the ego has been beat out of me in the last four or five years. But but I don't think you can go into something like this. In our business, I can only speak for us in, in my business, but probably in any business doing something that hasn't been done before without a clear, like a definiteness of purpose and a clear expectation that it is going to be a resounding success, new global category. What surprises me though, is I didn't realize how emotionally invested I would become a customer. I can tell you about people in this country who I care deeply about, who I did not know, um, but RT is helping them with something or another. And I didn't realize how much I would care about them. I, I understand our mission um, and, and that is my purpose, but I, I didn't realize how much I would enjoy and feel and care about when people do when once they get it and once it helps them is is really big to me um and so i feel like i will just become more and more emotional as we get bigger and bigger and i hear more and more stories yeah yeah because i mean you personally came through the original scare that was then the launch of this company but you got to talk to customers all the time that are going through things and see value in the team yeah yeah because they if they're reaching out they're reaching out either because they are missing something or they're battling something. Um, and they're like, I, my energy's really low. Will this tea help me? I can't do coffee. And, that, and they have a specific need. Or of course, there are those who are fighting brain disease or chronic illness, God forbid, cancer. Um, and I, I don't presume to say RT is going to ever help anyone in any way other than to say that there's really good science to say that it will just it's just going to be a supportive aid but 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 it's anyway it is a it is a special experience to get to talk to people who believe you are helping them and their families um and to hear their questions and anyway it's it's lovely it is really really special mm-hmm. yeah and 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 also if i can say so really good tea um, <laughs> You know, not to trivialize the seriousness, right? Because when people are facing things, but I mean, just to say it's, it's really good. And I mean, I, it's funny, I'm sitting here and, uh, you'll laugh at this, but I, I, um, I interviewed, uh, the, uh, the CEO and founder of Peace by Chocolate last fall. And I got to the end of the interview, uh, with him and I said, I can't believe like I didn't come to this interview prepared with chocolate. It's like it's like interviewing somebody who's like uh, you know a great chef, and you, you yeah, talk yeah. to them for an hour, and you're mouth watering by the end of it. And so he, he laughed. And so, but a couple months, few months later, I interviewed the CEO of Ganon, and I came prepared with uh, chicken bones. It, well, it, it was this chicken bones bark. It was this special product that they created, um, and and I came armed with the chicken bones bark when I spoke to Brianna Ganon. I love it. <laughs> and I now, should... uh, like I'm sitting here near the end of our interview, thinking. 
And we're not drinking tea. The next time you and I chat, it's definitely we're definitely going to have to have some tea with us. I'll wear that one. I should have brought us both some tea for this chat. <laughs> oh, no, it's not, not, not at all. Because I actually do remember the first time we chatted, we, we did have the tea at hand. And I got to tell you, and that's, that's a compliment to you. Thank if I'm you. getting near the end of the interview and I'm craving your tea, then... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It, uh, it, we hear it's pretty good that people who don't typically like tea and they're like, oh, no, I don't want to try it. I'm not a tea drinker. Like, oh, just you could try it because it's not going to be what you would expect to get from a from a Tetley green tea, for instance. Um, is there anything that I haven't brought up that you want to chat about? No, I can't think of anything. I mean, I could talk to you forever, but but no, nothing in particular. Yeah, No, but it's, it's a, a pleasure to talk to you, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. Me as well. Good to chat. You've been listening to the latest episode of Home Office on the Huddle Podcast Network. Thanks, Tracy, for the great chat. Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, and Sharice Letson. Liam Floyd helped with the production of this episode. You can subscribe to the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a family member, colleague, or a friend. Talk to you next week.